Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you had a great first week of 2023 and a great holiday season, and I hope you're excited for the new year. This is your year. I believe it for you. I'm rooting for you. This is my year. This is Black Fashion History's year. This is all of our year. So I'm just really excited for all that 2023 has to hold. It's looking up for me. It's looking up for you. We going up, Jay. It's going to be great. This year actually also marks the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. So hip-hop was started in 1973. People credit about August 1973 as the beginning of hip-hop. And so all year long, there are going to be tons of hip-hop 50 celebrations across the board in various different arenas. So I thought it only right to start 2023 off with a little bit of a hip-hop themed episode. Today, we're going to be talking about streetwear clothing brands. That isn't totally hip-hop, but streetwear is so intertwined with hip-hop Hip-hop has been the platform for streetwear for decades, meaning hip-hop artists were basically the influencers of streetwear. Those are the peoples that wore it. That's the culture that embraced it. And it wasn't until recent years where we start seeing streetwear kind of pour into what we consider or what some consider, quote unquote, mainstream fashion. And then you start seeing across all other communities that aren't necessarily partakers in the hip-hop culture, but streetwear has its beginning and its birth in hip-hop. So we can't talk about streetwear without crediting hip-hop for its work and obviously without crediting Black culture for bringing streetwear to the forefront, putting it on, and making it what it is today. There would be no Gucci, Balenciaga, some of the higher end fashion brands that have started to take its foray into streetwear in the past 10 years. There would be none of that if it wasn't for these black creators and some of the black creators that I'm going to be talking about today. So tune in, get excited. It's going to be a good one if I do say so myself. So today I'm going to be talking about three streetwear clothing brands from back in the day, back in the day when I was young. I'm not a kid anymore, but some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Do y'all know where that's from? Hopefully, I feel like most of my viewers would know, viewers, like I'm on TV one day, most of my listeners will know what that came from. But if I have any like Gen Zers that listen, they probably aren't familiar with that. But I'm going to be talking about three streetwear clothing brands from which I would consider back in the day that took over hip hop culture, that took over black communities that were started by black people that kind of shape what streetwear is today that you may have forgotten about. First up is Carl Kanai. I think this would probably be one of the more famous of the streetwear brands from the 80s, 90s that we think about when we think about hip hop. Funny thing is, I didn't even know Carl Kanai was a real brand until maybe about 15 years ago. My first introduction to Carl Kanai was on Martin. And it didn't connect with me that this is a real brand, but I don't know if anybody remembers. It's an episode where Gina 
and Pam had to do like an advertising campaign for Carl and I and they like started fighting so they both did kind of like their separate campaigns and were competing each other that was my first introduction to Carl and I and I did not know it was a real brand I thought it was a made-up brand for the show and for that particular experience had no idea but what I didn't know at the time was that it was one of the most famous and more successful streetwear brands of the time and paved the way for a lot of the brands that you see today. The brand called Kanai was started by Carl Williams, who was introduced to the idea of fashion and making clothes by his father, who used to have his own clothes made by a tailor in Manhattan. Carl knew that he wanted to be a part of the culture that was hip hop, but he couldn't rap. He couldn't make music. So he thought, hey, let me dress like a rapper. And that was the ethos that kind of birthed the brand Carl Kanai. He went to his dad's tailor to make his first outfit that would soon become the brand Carl Kanai and obviously that wasn't the intention at the time but all of his friends loved it everyone in the neighborhood loved it and so he would say to them hey if you want one I'll make you one that outfit was the blueprint of the brand and became the signature of the brand really because it was baggy oversized outfit but it was also well made and it kind of started um, or was the beginning of that trend of baggy oversized clothing that we start to see in hip-hop so at age 19 Carl was making custom clothing for the kids in his neighborhood and the kids around him and his signature style and what people go to him for was big jeans big baggy jeans people used to love to wear their jeans big so With his clothing, instead of having to go to the store and buy your jeans a size or two up from your normal size for them to give you that baggy look, he was making jeans that were your same size, but just the legs were bigger, all that. So they were, Carl and I was known for its baggy jeans. That was the simple idea of baggy oversized clothing that was behind his brand. With his brand sort of taking off in New York, Carl really wanted to put that fashion stamp on it, so to speak. So Carl Williams, the son of Costa Rican mother and a Panamanian father, and their family changed their last name from a Spanish one to the U.S. sounding one, which is the Williams, after they moved to the States. But Carl Williams didn't have that ring to it. It wasn't a fashion name. For him, when you think of names like Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, like they had a, a ring to it for him. Carl Williams wasn't given that for him. So he came up with the name Carl Kanai, Carl with a K and Kanai with a K also. Actually, Carl Can I, because that is the idea behind the brand, Can I. I like saying Carl Kanai, it rolls off my tongue better, I think. And it's also what they said in a Martin episode. When I first heard of the brand, they said Carl Kanai, but it's pronounced can I. So Carl can I. And I'm going to do my best to, to stick with the proper pronunciation throughout this episode. And I know I've already failed. In 1989, with the new name, Carl can I, Carl moved to California with $1,000 in his pocket and with the goal and idea to go ahead and really, really launched his brand. Yes, he was selling in New York. He was gaining popularity around the way and people knew him for his clothing and his style, but he moved to Cali to really launch a brand and a business. And Cali was where all the big names musicians were. It's where the culture was. 
in terms of stars. And so he wanted to go out there and make a name for himself. When he launched his brand, he obviously did not have money to get a big name star. I told you he moved to Cali with $1,000. So he ended up partnering with Sean Combs, who we know today as Diddy, Puffy, Puff Daddy, whatever you want to call him, Love. He linked up with him. And at the time, he was just a young student at Howard from New York City. But Diddy became the face of Carl Kenai's 1991 campaign. And over the years, artists like Biggie, Aaliyah, Nas, Heavy D, LL Cool J, Big Daddy Kane, Wu-Tang Clan, Snoop Dogg, and so many more were seen wearing Carl Kanai. They were in campaigns, like I told you, it was in Martin. So it was just in every aspect of the culture of hip hop culture and of black cultures. People were wearing it on television shows. Of course, all of the hip hop artists were wearing it. R&B artists were wearing it. It was a part of, it became the culture. It was the culture. It drove the culture. Tupac was always seen with Carl Kenai. It was very rarely that you would see Tupac in things that did not have Carl Kenai on it somewhere, like whether it was jeans or t-shirt or whatever. He was a big supporter of the brand. It was also reported that Tupac told Carl Williams, I'm not going to charge you to wear your clothing. You're black. I don't charge my people for anything. And having the support of Tupac really did help push the brand in the forefront as well as having the support of all of the other black artists and entertainers and I think that's something that as black people we can certainly look at as a lesson like in supporting each other and pushing each other forward and as long as we go at it with the community mindset that if you win I win and we're looking to help build each other up so nobody's trying to use somebody else but we're just all trying to help build each other up I think that's how we get to build the community but that's a different lesson for a different time as the brand grew Carl Williams ended up partnering with another black owned streetwear fashion brand that we're going to talk about it took over during this time called Cross Colors and with them partnering together it really launched Carl Kanai into a bigger level of success and the brand became stocked in stores across the U.S. and accessible to everyone. In addition to the stores that he owned for the brand in L.A. Then in 1992, Threads for Life, which is the parent company to Cross Colors, hired Carl Williams to create his own line of clothing for the company and he ended up closing his LA stores and made the move over to Cross Colors. Now at the time Cross Colors was the premier black owned brand like and their company was the top of the line black owned company as far as fashion designers and manufacturers. So Switching over to cross colors is not a wrong, it's not a small deal. It was a big deal. So I just want to give y'all context because it's not like Carl Williams, oh, he abandoned his brand to go work for somebody else. It was the cream of the crop calling him saying, hey, come put your brand. Instead of you being all by yourself and all by your lonesome, come have some backing and put your brand under our company and let's build this black owned mega house. And after some years spent out of the spotlight, Carl Kanai introduced himself to younger audience 
in 2018 through a collab with Pretty Little Thing, where Tiana Taylor was the face of that campaign. And they have been going nonstop. Carl Kanai is its own standalone brand. So you don't have to purchase through collabs and drops with different retailers, but you can head out and support Carl Kanai at carlkanai.com. And when I tell you they do not miss a beat when it comes to luxury streetwear. Now, the second brand that we're going to touch on is the powerhouse that is Cross Colors. I guess it should have, it would have made more sense if I started with Cross Colors since Carl Kanai's brand and story was kind of tied into Cross Colors to give y'all some context. But, you know, everything ain't got to be perfect. Now, Cross Colors is a brand that I know for sure that y'all know about. Like, it is Everywhere, I mean, from the Cosby show, Theo Huxville used to wear cross colors. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air will used to wear cross colors. Martin, cross colors. Like every single black sitcom, somebody in there was in cross colors. Every time you saw a black person on TV, I felt like a black male, especially you saw cross colors, hip hop artists, cross colors, R&B artists, cross colors, TLC, cross colors, like you saw cross colors everywhere. And you may not even know that it was cross colors or that's what it was called. But every time you saw that color blocked denim or the color blocked top, that was cross colors. If there was ever a brand that I would say is synonymous with 90s hip hop, with paving the way with streetwear itself, it's got to be Cross Colors. So the brand was started in 1989 and co-founded by Carl Jones and TJ Walker. And it is known and credited as one of the first streetwear brands ever. That's why you see it everywhere. That's why it is the grandfather of streetwear. So fresh out of fashion school, um, Carl Jones started screen printing and doing graphic art. And he had a little shop in downtown L.A. where he would make T-shirts and things like that. Oversized shorts, oversized T-shirt. He was in the beachwear surfing business. The beachwear brand at the time was looking for additional graphic artists for the clothes. And that's where TJ Walker comes in. He showed up to work. He was a great graphic artist. And they started doing business from there on out. When that particular business just wasn't doing it for him anymore, it became more about the money than it was about making the clothes and the art form of it all. So Carl Jones left, TJ went with him and they never looked back. A month later, they went to the studio in downtown LA and they started the brand Cross Colors. The vision behind the brand was clothing without prejudice. That actually became the tagline of the brand Cross Colors. So everywhere you see them, you would see clothing without prejudice. But the Cross Colors name really came from the idea of not just the fabric or the thread, but people and clothing being a uniting force that united all people. At the time where the brand started, gang violence was very prevalent. Color bang was very prevalent. So cross colors really encompassed everything that was happening in the culture at the time and came with this idea that clothing could unite people. And that's where they went with clothing without prejudice. 
There were also a lack of brands that reflected black communities and brown communities. And so they really wanted their brand to be a reflection of the communities that they were part of. And they wanted black people to have something to look at that that was their own. And that all kind of tied into the ethos of cross colors. It was uniting each other in the community, being a force of something to look at in the community and really being a source of hope. And something to hold to during a time of national unrest, fighting racial injustices, the war on drugs, gang violence, everything that was plaguing black communities at the time. Both T.J. Walker and Carl Jones have said that they recognize that our community spent a lot of money on brands that were not considering us when it came to how the clothing was designed and marketed. They didn't see themselves reflected in ad campaigns and they knew there was a need and they were determined to create a brand that the community could see themselves in. They started off with a swatch of kente cloth and incorporating that into the clothing and then moved on to color blocking fabrics. And that's what they really became known for, putting it on T-shirts and then morphing that into jeans and shorts and everything under the sun. And it became their signature and the way that you could identify the brand without even seeing the name. And of course, incorporating that baggy style that was so popular in hip hop culture and black culture at the time. As I mentioned earlier, Will Smith appeared in Cross Colors on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and it kind of skyrocketed. Celebrities everywhere were trying to get into the Cross Colors. You had Tupac, TLC, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Aaliyah. It's been Warren and Martin, like I said, in Living Color. I feel like Living Single, Sister Act 2, everywhere on mainstream TV where there were black shows, black actors, you could see cross colors. And it really just grew into this powerhouse of the brand in the 1990s. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when we we're talking about Carl Kanai, you know, cross colors, kind of brought on Carl Kanai to create his own label under their company. And so they just were a mega house in the space, in the streetwear space and in the black owned clothing space, something that really hadn't been done in a really long time. Like the last kind of powerhouse of a black owned brand that I could think of before Cross Colors is a Willie Smith's brand. So this is just to show you how much of an exciting time that was, how monumental that was, and you know, the way that it's paved for other streetwear brands that you see today. Like there will be no Supreme, there will be no fear of God, there will be no off-white without cross colors. Now, the last brand that I'm going to talk about in today's episode is one that I'm super excited about. And that's why I saved it the last, because I wanted to have the best flavor in your mouth, in a sense, because it is the first, I believe, or one of the first women-owned streetwear clothing brands. We are talking about Walker Wear, started by April Walker. April Walker is the first woman of color to simultaneously open a clothing boutique and start a streetwear brand during the golden era of hip hop. 
At 20 years old, April Walker became an entrepreneur in Brooklyn and opened up her own shop. She was inspired by Dapper Dan and his shop in Harlem. And she thought to herself, we don't have anything like this in Brooklyn and Brooklyn needs something like this. She was just amazed by the custom tailoring and all of the great things that Dapper Dan would do. And if you guys don't know who Dapper Dan is, look him up. But Dapper Dan used to do custom tailoring where he pretty much would take the logos of a lot of the luxury brands and create styles that reflect more of hip hop culture and black culture. So the things that like Chanel would make Louis Vuitton, Gucci, that stuff wasn't necessarily things that we wanted to wear, but we still wanted to wear the brand. So he would make it in a style that was more reflective of the black culture and really kind of just paved the way for luxury and streetwear, the marriage of luxury and streetwear, I'd say. So anyway, lots of custom tailoring was a part of his work. And just April saw the great work that he was doing and knew that Brooklyn needed kind of its own thing for the culture. So in 1987, Walker opened her first clothing business in her home and it was called Fashion in Effect. And a year later in 1988, she opened her first shop in Brooklyn, the shop for Fashion in Effect. And since its opening, it was just a magnet for all things hip hop, talking about break dancers, hip hop dancers, airbrushers, graffiti artists, anything that was associated with hip-hop culture found their way to fashion and effect in Brooklyn. It was located in Bed-Stuy, which fun fact is where I used to live and I spent majority of my New York upbringing. In her shop, she noticed that her customers were asking for the same tailorings over and over. Many people are asking for, you know, deeper pockets, more leg room, you know, to lower the crotch. They needed like the jeans to be a little baggier because they need to fit over the Tims. Like they were asking for the same kind of tailoring and modifications to their clothing. And so that gave her an idea. She created her own version of what her customers would mostly ask for, and that became known as the first Walker Wear Rough and Rugged Suit. In 1999, she launched Walker Wear officially, and it became one of the first official streetwear brands and the first owned by a woman, and where her Walker Wear collection was mostly inspired by, again, those modifications that her customers would ask for. They really wanted to wear something similar to what they saw their favorite rappers wear in the music videos, and that just was not available at other retailers because retailers didn't cater to black audiences. And so she made a collection that did cater to black audiences and what we liked and what we asked for repeatedly. And that folks is streetwear. Streetwear really is without being like super literal, but it really is like the style of the street or what the people want. I think it's a better way to put it and what they're wearing. And sometimes, a lot of times that's completely different from what you see in magazines. That's a different take on what designers originally intended when they put on their clothing, but it's the personality and the styles of the people in different areas, different neighborhoods, you put their spin on it. And that's what streetwear is. And when you have a brand that sees that, that's a part of the culture and listens to that and then like creates based on that, you have a beautiful thing. That's why, you know, Carl Knight was so successful. Cross Colors were so successful and Walker Wear was so successful. 
it's like the people, black people specifically, and then hip hop culture as a subculture of that finally found like brands that got it. Like they know what we want. We don't have to go to a tailor to change our clothes. We don't have to explain, you know, why we wear our pants five sizes too big or why our shirts like this or like why we like our boots cut like that. We don't have to explain. We just have brands that get it. Walker Wear was also one of the first clothing lines with women in mind, with April Walker being a woman herself and someone who loves hip hop and was a part of hip hop culture, as well as her store fashion and effect being the kind of meeting place for dancers and all types of artists in hip hop. She really understood like what women were looking for, what they needed, like whether they were, you know, dancing on stage or at the parties, you know, she knew what they were looking for. Like they still wanted to to capture that popular baggy look, but they needed it in a way that fit them and their personality. And Walker Wear was a brand that really catered to that. Whereas some of the other streetwear brands that were led by men didn't really consider women. Walker Wear has been seen on celebrities such as Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Aaliyah, Run DMC, actually Biggie was one of April Walker's first customer when she created Walker Wear and he signed his deal with Bad Boy Records. He wore Walker Wear and never stopped wearing it throughout the course of his career and really just represented and went hard for the brand. Walker Wear still exists as a brand today. You can check it out at walkerwear.com. These were just three of some popular and first streetwear brands that have been out, but there are so many Black-owned streetwear brands from the 80s, not the 80s, but the 90s, early 2000s that really changed the face of fashion and that really just created brands that understood what Black people wanted and served as like... A point of community for Black people, especially as we look like into the mainstream and we're looking for things and people and brands that look like us. And that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you loved what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms and on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you don't do any of that stuff, make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.